Dirt, a Go Loud original. Hello and welcome to Dirt with Dermot and Paul. We're coming to you this morning from a very busy college green in the heart of Dublin City. There's buses and cars and trams passing us. The place, I won't say it's buzzing with people, but it is buzzing with excitement. Why is that, Paul? Well, in front of Trinity College is the most spectacular wildflower meadow. The lawns have gone and they have been replaced with something far more interesting. We love it. We'll be talking about that later. Who else will we be meeting today? We're going to have a brief chat with Keelan Egan, who was a wine bar owner in the city, one of these trendy wine bars, and gave it all up and became a gardener. So, enjoy. Dirt with Dermot Gavin and Paul Smith, a Go Loud original. Do you know there was an election held in Trinity College? When? Last year. It wasn't really an election, it was a poll. In Trinity College, which is in the centre of Dublin, Queen Elizabeth I, I think, gave a charter to the city that they could build this big university, which for kind of many thousands of years was just for Protestants only. Did you go to Trinity? No, they wouldn't have me. I'm a mudblood, remember? Anyway, <laughs> you and your type had pristine lawns all over Trinity. And in the very front, there's lovely statues. I was cutting the lawns, though. I was that type. <laughs> <laughs> you were a disappointment to the family. <laughs> there was a... In February of last year, they held this poll to decide whether to take out those pristine lawn, lawns and replace it with flowering meadows. And they did. Well, the vote was amazing. The poll received 13,850 votes and 12,496 of those, 90%, were in favour of the conversion to a wildflower meadow. Isn't that amazing? It was initiated as part of the university's response to Ireland's biodiversity crisis. And I think that shines through the whole idea of urban greening, using our urban centres as places to grow plants, because people might think, oh, you know, get into the city. It won't be green. Uh, you know, gardens, gardens are sometimes the best in the city. Plants do best in the city. It's it is something people kind of don't consider. And, the, you know, cities have particular environments, you know, where in the city centre in Dublin now, but Dublin is right beside the coast and there's seagulls flying all around the place. And, you know, plants spread seeds. Yeah. Through their poo? Birds, you mean. Plants can't poo. <laughs> they haven't, they're getting very good at evolving, but the plants haven't quite got there yet. Can plants poo? They secrete. Yay! Water. Go! And oxygen. Have you not paid any attention? Secretion is a type of poo- pooing, isn't it, Aideen? Uh, I don't know. I'm not a botanist. So what's the definition of poo? I think we need a linguist hold, hold on. for that. Hold on. No, no, we just need, we need Dr. Google. Are you trying... Oh, I thought you were trying no, to get there No, I just think there's a lot of uh, animals, like bugs, like ladybirds secrete that yellow stuff when they're threatened. But that's a secretion, it's not poo. Um, well, yeah, mm. yeah. I can't believe you're uh, looking up. When proper citizens of Rome were lowering their bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> proper citizens. Uh, anyway, this is getting us nowhere. But what I wanted to say <laughs> was, in cities, it is amazing because tall build- buildings for animals and creatures often resemble cliffs. And they're treated as cliffs by birds. 
does a growing understanding that plant life from cliffs and coasts or mountains can often thrive in city situations. So all the tall buildings, whether they're medieval tall buildings in terms of cathedrals out there, city offices or, or whatever, they're all habitats. Uh, and they are been taken over by creatures who bring plants in their... in their... Who's going to say it? Poo! <laughs> Uh, interestingly, though, are you? <laughs> Why poo? <laughs> Why poo? Why poo? Because they eat these seeds and that's how some plants spread. Well, you see it. The classic one is on the chimney stacks. You have buddleias grown. Uh, the butterfly bushes. Have you seen them? Hey, didn't you know how the plants got there? I'm guessing you're going to say their well, seeds were spread by the birdies. No, no, it was probably wind dispersal. Um, oh. Think of it. It's not just animals that spread plants. Plants have their own methods of spreading. If you want to go, this is an entire topic in itself. The way plants have yeah. seeds that flick out of their pods and some <laughs> plants have, uh, you know, dandelions. The one that everyone blows, that's wind pollinator, wind uh, dispersed. It's, yeah, animals are just one of the many ways that plants find their way around. Sorry, I've been very boring. You want to just talk about poo, sticky, branding. Back things. to urban greening. Oh, yeah. Um, so, urban spaces. What do we think of when we think of an urban space? And the number one thing people think of in a city is pollution. And as a result of that, I suppose CO2 or CO2 is pollution, you could argue. But CO2 is one of the main things that plants need to grow. And as a result... When plants are exposed to quite a high intensity of CO2, they do better. And plants in urban spaces tend to do better. Often in commercial greenhouses, CO2 will actually be released into that environment. Uh, The Victorians, I think, discovered this when they used to power their old glasshouses by coal. And the plants that had coal-powered furnaces always did better because there was more CO2 in the atmosphere and they actually grew bigger. So plants need CO2 to grow and sometimes they do better with it. Now, there's obviously the heat of the city too from the extra pollution and in the case of Dublin, you know, it's by the sea. Uh, More people will always make a city tends to be a couple of degrees warmer. So all those things combined actually make cities really good places to grow things. So we all know the benefits of urban green spaces, whether it be community gardens, sports grounds, street trees. All that makes us feel good. The sights, the smells, the sounds of plants, they promote relaxation, they reduce stress, they create habitats, and they're all really important. And with increasing cities getting bigger and urban spaces and suburban spaces Mm. enlarging in so many places around the world, it's really important that we do become aware, take initiatives and make it easy for people to grow pots of plants on their balconies, green up roofs, reduce uh, kind of the amount of water, rain that's been washed into drains, slow things down, stop soil erosion. All these type of things are really, really vital. While creating habitat. Um, earlier this month, there was an orchid found, uh, really weird one, the Sarah P.S. Paravifolia, some fancy Latin name. That's irrelevant. This was in London? Yeah, yeah. What's relevant was this is a rare orchid, very little known about, and it was found on the 11th floor of a rooftop garden in a Japanese investment bank in London on this kind of award-winning uh, you know, rooftop terrace that had been just developed. And in the middle of this, they found this orchid growing, a rare one that wouldn't be found anywhere else. So it wasn't an orchid that was planted 
it arrived via seagull or something like that. Or it arrived via the compost or whatever, you know, all the plants had been imported. But, but your point was, is, is thriving in this situation. Thriving and doing very well and a habitat where, you know, where is the last place in the world you would think a rare orchid from the Mediterranean, I think it comes from originally, uh, France, Spain, Portugal is where it comes from. The only one of these that grows in the United Kingdom and it grows up on a car park on the top of a balcony in London or on top of a roof in London. Just mad I think. It, it is amazing now a more beneficial plant to be found up on the top of a, would have been a native thing like a hawthorn or something like that um, yeah because yeah. it'll sustain any amount of wildlife because the pollen it produces will be you know really gathered by the insects and the bees and whatever that are Isn't native to that area of some urban areas having too much pollen for bees and the bees oh, I haven't heard kind that. of not being able to get to pollinate everything because there's yeah. so many plants and the bee population in an urban area tends to be non-existent unless there are there are some cases of urban bees but there's nearly too many plants for the bees but the point is you need the habitat for all of those things to come back to the cities because we've drove everything out of the cities apart from tarmac and traffic lights. There is some stuff happening. In Milan, you have the development of this game called the Bosco Vertical, the Vertical Woodland by uh, an architect, Stefano, I think his name is. And it is quite incredible. It's two towers built, I have to say, at a vast expense and not completely successful. But he created this urban forest on these terraces that were integrated into the building. The grey water from the building is used to irrigate it. Uh, All sorts of species will live within those trees and shrubs. It cools down the building during the summer and I suppose it acts as some type of insulation during the winter. It's it's expensive to do. They need a lot more concrete reinforce. Uh, you, you know, this would do much better if it was on the ground. However, it's good to see somebody trying something new. And I know he's he's become because of this development. He's become a bit of a architect and is doing developing whole cities in other parts uh, of of the world in places like China uh, and through Europe. He's creating other developments. So people are beginning to think this way. Yeah, and the Bosco Vertical, I think they said, if you were to take the plants there, there's 3,000 odd plants growing there. If you were to put them out onto a flat you know, surface, 7,000 square metres of plants would be up on that vertical building, which is a remarkable amount when you think about it in terms of what can grow in a vertical space. Because, you know, as humans in a city, we go up because that's the only space that we have free. And why can't we grow plants up there? Yes, there's challenges. It's not as easy. But it just does so much, number one, for, you know, us as humans to see green everywhere. You know, what's nicer than driving up? I had to drive up to Griffith Avenue in Dublin yesterday and the plane trees there on that kind of main thoroughfare into Dublin. It's one of the nicest drives in Dublin, I think. The Phoenix Park is, I think, the largest urban or central city park in Europe. Am I right in saying that? There's some fact about that, isn't there? And that's a remarkable thing to have in the capital city. So sometimes the answers are all around us already. I mean, we had a coffee before we came in today and we looked at some rather twee window boxes with aubrechias and conifers, but they're all doing a job just because they're not trendy things. So it's opening our eyes again and being inspired by what's already been done and see what, you know, imagining and bringing other creatives uh, into and engineers into the conversation. In Milan, the planting 
on those buildings just creates a microclimate within each residential apartment. It absorbs CO2 and stops the dust particles, uh, produces oxygen. There's nothing wrong with it, but we've a lot to learn about it. But the conversation has started. And plants have a cooling effect. You just kind of alluded to it there. You know, they help cool the environments. Our cities are warming up. We're, you know, getting warmer days, warmer summer days. Uh, plants do have that cooling effect. You walk under that tree-lined avenue on a hot day and it is instantly, you know, five or six degrees cooler. At least it feels like that. So it, it, it does. Useful. Also, not, not just that, but they create screens and barriers and privacy and whatever. And with this turn towards outdoor dining on the streets of our cities and our towns, you see plants being used in troughs as barriers to separate people from traffic and, uh, and table from, from table. And just being surrounded by green, that green association. And immediately you put a plant in, you'll get some inquiring insect or bird or whatever coming to take a look, to, uh, coming to check it out for, for pollen. So it enhances everybody's life, every creature's life. Any amount of plant at all in a city's place is good. There's something like 70,000 apartments in Dublin. If every person put one or two plants in there, there's 150,000 plants immediately in the place, um, which you know will create habitat, will create something, will create greenery, will create this sense of, oh, you know, there's a bit of calmness, there's a bit of green in this kind of concrete jungle. Well, I have a question for you because what you mentioned there about the Phoenix Park and Greyfriath Avenue, those are all legacy endeavours there doesn't seem to have been the same modern drive to create green spaces so I lived in Dublin 8 for a long time and we had a couple of very good summers and I had I had to walk 20 minutes in either direction to sit in a park so there's lots of communities who don't have access to what you're talking about and I'm wondering given the lack of or the apparent lack of ambition at local authority level to do something about that what com- communities do to take control of that themselves? How can they create a little oasis? Communities are really extraordinary because they're taking it upon themselves to find derelict sites or just spaces that are unused, getting together and greening them up, understanding the importance of growing your own, the satisfaction in growing your own and the teaching ability in terms of children and communities, children and families to understand that our food doesn't come pre-washed and packed in plastic from supermarket. It comes from the ground. Most of it comes from the ground. And there has been a lack of care and planning for this in authorities. Remember, Dublin was a Georgian city and all the wealthy people who lived had lived around maybe seven Georgian squares and they had beautiful parks. And this was, you know, replicating what was happening in London and Brighton and uh, other cities. But that was lost. Traditionally, people lived in houses with gardens to the front and back in this country. But that's been eaten away. It's been eroded uh, through higher density developments, which is also needed. But I think COVID is promoting a rethink of how we live and how we want to live, what we strive for. Um, And people are valuing gardens like they have never before. So rather than look back at our historic failures in this regard, in terms of planning, I think we can probably look forward, Paul, with some optimism to 
people making a difference. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully the planners of the future, you know, given the extraordinary two years that we've just had, you drive around the city now on a Saturday or Sunday and every available green space, every tree that's there, people are sitting under it. They're sitting on the grass. They're out enjoying nature, especially when they couldn't move as much and when they were more restricted. So I think that's just going to have to be taken into account as people are, you know, planning new developments and as we are developing this city to leave more green space, leave more areas, communal areas for people to enjoy. And yes, they do that in apartment blocks and whatever, but they often just pave them over and put a few token planter boxes in them and kind of leave it at that. But I think, you know, there has to be a lot more thought put into this. And uh, it's not, you know, we do all these things, the SUDS, which is the sustainable urban drainage schemes and different things which help with the drainage and all of those things. But it's also the effect that plants have the beneficial effect just to mental health to our health um people i've seen this thing once uh, we should actually talk about this someday but it's the value of a tree and it's not taking the value of a tree in terms of the monetary value of the timber or whether it be firewood or whatever but it's the value of the tree that it gives in terms of number one taking in carbon from the environment number two the benefit that that tree gives to people who pass it if particularly a tree that's looked at you know like one that would be in dublin city center so all of those benefits that a tree would give i think every tree the benefit is like in the hundreds of thousands of euro when you look at it from that point of view so yeah hopefully in the future and sometimes it is only that point of view that planners will take into account uh, or financiers or or whatever if they can understand it in monetary terms all of a sudden it can make sense I think gardening even communal garden street gardening whatever it's also a class issue I I think historically it's been a class issue because gardening was for the middle classes for the upper um, classes or the farming classes and it was not regarded as something that was important for working classes. And I guess is Dublin 8 kind of working class, lots of well, red brick terraces, is that kind there of... There are two sides to Dublin 8. You have the lofty Pleasant Street, Camden Street, Portobello area and then you have... That's the hip kind of... The new. wrong side of the tracks in inverted commas. I'm using my air quote fingers here. <laughs> I was in, on Cork Street in Dolphin's Barn. So okay. the closest green space was either St. Patrick's Park beside the cathedral or Eamon Cant Park in Kimmage Crumlin. So, yeah, it is, a ver- it is a classist thing, I would agree. Well, so there's parts of the city that just no access to any of that. No access, and it, they're not beautiful parks. Interesting, in those sort of areas, most of the green spaces are in church grounds. Surrounding the church, you'll get lawns and cherry trees, but that is really it. What you do have there are wonderful communities and wonderful people, but if you were an estate agent driving through you wouldn't say this is desirable because of the lack of the leaves. Going back to what I was saying there about planters been used to screen people from traffic in these new days, new ways of, of living. I got a message on Instagram the other day yeah. from a lady who was planning to do just that in Dublin city centre. She used to work, I think, she used to run a wine bar or something like that. She's now a gardener and one of her first commissions is to create these green spaces for people to dine outdoors. Dirt, a Go Loud original. On Marion Row in Dublin city centre and the city council have decided to make changes, take away some of the traffic lanes, parking spaces and turn them into 
places for people to gather and places for restaurants and coffee shops and bars to trade. So the greening of the city has begun and last night I got a message from... Keelan Egan. How are you? Please meet you. <laughs> Keelan, over Instagram you sent me a message yep. to say that you were in the restaurant business yes. and once COVID hit, you pivoted and you changed careers. I did. I had a, a wine bar, a late night wine bar, quite a well-known place. Um, and then once COVID came, I knew it was, it was small. I was never going to be able to come back. Landlords, problems, everything. Anyway, we moved on and... Uh, from watching yourselves, especially your Instagram lives and everything. And I loved plants always. I loved my own wine bar actually was uh, completely decked out with from the shop on George's Street. Oh, and every God. night uh, after everyone have a few drinks going home, I'd give the plants to everyone going home. So I'd have to go back again. <laughs> and uh, I think I was the best customer there. And I got to love it then. I decided over COVID, did it. So applied, got in doing from a diploma from the Garden Institute of Ireland to design and, and was, loving it. Was that all done remotely because of the Yes, it was all, room. yeah. Now, I'm very lucky. I live in Castlenock. I'm born rare there. Went to school basically in the Phoenix Park. And now you're out here green yeah. in the city. You are literally yes. planting uh, plants instead of cars, which exactly. is the best thing and, to be doing. Uh, I'd normally be seen with wine bottles walking around town, but now it's with plants. And uh, then I spoke with Gina, who was, who was instrumental in this whole thing in Dublin, basically for outdoor dining. She's fought hard for it for the last year. And, and uh, we started talking about the plants and she said, do you want to, it's your first job, she said, do you want to get in and start doing it? And uh, so we got in and started doing it. So <laughs> you wrote to me yesterday yeah. evening and you said you were doing some planting outside a really well-known <laughs> landmark, Lon internationally, and that's O'Donoghue's pub where the Dubliners were founded. Uh, and you said, I'm doing these planters, would you have any advice? So show us what now, you've these done are, so far. These are from the council themselves. So they put they put everything in. But they these put are, these planters in, yeah. which are big, which is the most important thing. They're robust. They'll take all sorts of abuse. They're elegant. They're good looking. They're planted a kind of very farrowing ball, greeny grey. And your job was to plant them up. Yeah. So basically, um, between Jean and myself and the rest of the restaurants on the on the street, they decided they want lavender. Well, I'd said lavender for the bees, and that was my biggest joy. I think was the first plant that we planted over there was to see within two minutes there was five bumblebees around it and uh, all and all weekend that was the way it was even beside the dining and everything everybody loved it so in in this trough yeah. what do we have first so, of all what's the growing medium what are you growing them in that's uh, that's they have they they were planted when they came when they arrived so they were full of the compost yeah uh, material, yeah which is a soil and John Innes based compost, I yeah. would think. It looks really important to have soil when you're doing it because it holds on to nutrients and moisture, which is really important because you're going to have to water these too, I guess. Well, this is, there is an actual irrigation system oh, wow. in wow. this, which I'm actually trying to find out how to use properly, yeah. <laughs> but it's taking a lot of water. <laughs> it's, um, I, have fi- I filled it like this morning with five litres, and it's, that's, I could say, another takes another five at least. So the... The councils seem to be well prepared, yes. good quality planters, yeah. they're robust, they fit in well in the street, they have an inbuilt irrigation system which is continually topped up, really good compost and your job to plant them. Plant them and then I have the topsoil over them, that's with the put them in. So what we really wanted to create as well was something for the biodiversity and for the bees to like and the amazing thing about it is we had a good bit of these done from Friday, Thursday, everything was late coming in. Not one single plant has been touched. And that was our sort of a little trial. And even the best part of this was I left even 
my little I showed yesterday, last night. It was in the exact same position when I came in today and my watering can. I forgot about them yesterday. <laughs> and they were sitting there, not touched once all night. So Dublin maybe is changing. <laughs> the plants that you have here, I'm rubbing my hand over a chamomile. Yeah. Right beside it is a French lavender. Then we have mint and a chocolate mint, is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, and then a low growing rosemary. Yeah. What's amazing to see is everyone who's passing by is just the smelling. Um, a lady came by earlier on and she said, could you mind if I take a few snippets of, uh, of the camelline? And it's like, no problem whatsoever. So what they're going to do in the restaurant, I said yesterday, from each, instead of when the bills come out at the end, she's going to snip a little few little pieces of them and tie them a little bit with a piece of, of actual plant. And well, when, when you wrote on Instagram, you were looking for advice? Yes, I was. We were thinking more for O'Donoghue's up outside the pub. Now we had to, yesterday there was... Well, we head up we and have a look yeah. and see. Yeah. He's waiting for his, his Guinness delivery to come in from nine o'clock this morning. But, uh, so the beer cakes the line the road. Down, <laughs> As I said, the main Guinness pub in Ireland. <laughs> so what you have in effect here are mini sensory gardens because people are already doing exactly what you want to do yes. with a sensory garden. Yeah. We're taking a seat now outside O'Donoghue's with... There's a different type of planter. Um, there's glass uh, balustrades up. The traffic is moving on. And already planted are geraniums, or pelagoniums and French lavender. And you want an idea of what to put in as well as these, is it? Yeah, to make here, like it's a, this is the pub part. I said, they're the restaurant there, so we'd put more herbs into those for beside the eating. And then for here, these are sort of, we temporarily did these just to, to get something in. And that's I think you're doing really well. I mean, I think everybody loves colour. I think O'Donoghue's is known as being a colourful place. And I would, until September, even into October, go for the profusely flowering, colourful display. All of those uh, of which plants would attract the bees also and the butterflies uh, as pollinators, which are so important to this environment. So I would continue along with that. I'd add fuchsias into the mix, cosmos. Um, I see you have the salvias there. Um, maybe things like astilbes. Uh, maybe some ornamental grasses. Anything you can think of, Paul? Uh, yeah, I, I think just a riot of colour. So all of those annual plants, even the French marigolds, calendulas, things that will just shine and spring. And don't worry about colour. All you want is, or coloured themes, all you want is lots and lots of colour. There's a pub in London, uh, you know it, don't you? That's yeah. absolutely top to bottom, covered in flowers. And people love a pub that's just yeah. colourful. So uh, I think go for that's, the colour. Yeah, and that's the thing. I've really, really noticed, though, like just over the weekend, just everyone, the smell seemed to be a massive, big, huge thing. And even people, especially about the bumblebees, it was like the talk of the restaurant, the street. I think, Paul, you've hit the nail on the head. So there is a pub that you can lock up and it's called the Churchill Arms. Yeah. And it's on uh, Kensington it's Church Street in yeah. London. Yeah. And it has hanging baskets, a display mm. like you've never seen in your life. The landlord there is from County Clare. So it's a big GIA as well as Churchill uh, <laughs> memorabilia type of. So there's a, a bit of a mix. But the display that he does with hanging baskets and then with Christmas trees absolutely amazing so go for color and go for those plants as you're already doing that help um, the ecosystem so the pollinators so anything that produces good open flowers makes it easy for the bees for the moths for the butterflies to get in for pollen but i would continue doing what you're doing thank you very much one thing i just want to ask you is about ivy 
they're going to try and make this permanent all year round and uh, just they were going to bring over a balustrade the architect was here and he but he was talking about dripping them in ivy I think as long as maintenance is good ivy yeah. is absolutely perfect yeah. ivy does flower it does become a habitat for all sorts of mm. creatures it is there all year round it's very very useful but as long as this is maintained planting them I would say is the easy job but yeah. it's the instant impact job looking after them can be a bit more challenging okay. I have a feeling that is going to happen though yeah okay and uh, all I would say with ivy is there's no immediate rush for that it's going to take years and years to establish ivy up over yeah. a structure so you know maybe wait until the summer display is gone put it in in the winter because it's evergreen too so it'll give you a bit of winter interest and from the winter on you can start to encourage it to go up whatever structure you have here Excellent. and start planning your bulbs now for next spring Right, Dirt, okay. a Go Loud original. Do you know the most famous balcony in the world? It's a very... Well, it could be a good question or a bad question. It could be a stupid question or it could be intriguing. It's sort of intriguing. I don't know if it's a good Oh, no, no, I know it. I know it. Yeah? It has to be in Buckingham Palace. No. No? No, no. Oh, hold on. Nobody say anything. Um... The most fair. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, I've been there. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, does it exist? I think it's fiction. Yeah, yeah, no, I went, we went to see there it. There is a real life one. Must have friend Keelan and it conjures there, images of those red trailing pelagoniums and, you know, Mediterranean herbs yeah, and stuff it was growing very, out. It's kind of enclosed courtyard off their version of Grafton Street and very, very hot and the queues to get up and all that sort of thing. But well, I, it's a tourist I, trap now, isn't it? Tourist trap. But if you're. Have you been that young lover in the throes of romance and sexual excitement and everything and really the desire did you bring anybody to see it when you went to see it I didn't see it so no that's you're single <laughs> I don't think that's the only reason but <laughs> well apart from having whiskers like cat weasel <laughs> so <laughs> Romeo and Juliet their balcony is famous it has no plants. Absolutely barren of plants. But it does conjure up these images. And you see them, especially when you're out in parts of, you know, Italy and France and Spain. Uh, whitewash walls and those lovely pots of red geraniums coming down the side of them. And that's the kind of classic thing that people grow on balconies, isn't it? Yeah. And I, we, we had a holiday. What's that other Italian city dance out? Amazing city. Big football team. Napoli. Yeah, Naples. I played that all the time. It really bugged the little one. So we <laughs> had bet. a holiday in an Airbnb apartment in Napoli. And looking at the balconies there was extraordinary because generations of families live in the same apartment. The apartments are probably very big, very cool inside. The furniture is just fantastic. And they have this outdoor space to hang clothes on and to grow plants on. And they love colour. And of course, with the climate they have there, the geraniums grow wonderfully. The other thing, you don't see them on balcony. Well, you do a little bit, but the bougainvilleas. Um, Because you can grow them in a pot, like anything. Climbers can be grown in pots with the right attention and care, but it's always a little bit more of a challenge, isn't it? And some of the growth in these cities, uh, I would see something like Parthenocissus. Curtains of it falling down. Oh, you sent a photo of it. Oh, yeah, like a rope blown in the wind. They had it like trained as a rope over a street, over a street, yeah, like archway over a street, like Christmas lights would be. It was extraordinary. So that's the romantic image of 
what balcony living is all about. Also. But balconies are tough, can't they? They're not exactly all romantic. It can be a little bit hard to garden on a balcony. More and more people are living in flats and apartments and whether they're rented or whether they own, people like my mom sell the family house and move into smaller spaces that are manageable. And after having had a garden for a generation, for two generations, now she has two balconies, one to the front of the flat, one to the back. You might have people moving to the city for the first time, renting some space and really wanting to grow something. The only space that's available is this small area outside uh, where the television is. So what do you grow there? And I guess the answer is, number one, as we always say, what you like. But not everything uh, does so well on a balcony. Depends, number one, on the aspect. And that's true of a garden and even more so true of a balcony. But as, as something else, just before you get on to what do you grow, why do you want to grow anything there? And Everybody been, has this desire to grow, though, isn't that it? And that desire has been heightened in the last few years, partly because people were stuck at home in these flats, yep. looking at this little outdoor space. In some countries, they weren't allowed out of their flats. Well, there was famous scenes, I think it was Italy again, where they were playing uh, on music on the balconies of the kind of and streets, in Dublin, weren't they? they were playing bingo. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was you brilliant. Know, from up. their balconies, yeah. so it was. But people had this desire to connect with nature, no matter how small the space was. So the ins and outs of balcony gardening. Before you do anything, before you start, you have to be confident about how much weight. This is the boring stuff. How much weight, but it's the important stuff. How much weight the balcony can bear. Check the structural, if you're gardening on a balcony or if you're on the roof terrace. Check that the balcony is stronger. I mean, it might seem an obvious thing, but if it's an old building, it mightn't be. It mightn't take the weight you want to put on it. So get your surveyor, your architect, your whoever you're renting the flat apartment from to let you know, yeah, you're good to plant. Okay. And then, look, well, aspects Because gardening have- can be heavy. The stuff you use, wet compost, stone or terracotta pots, yeah, even plastic stuff, it can be. Yeah, it does add up. And especially when you add a few people onto that balcony too, you'd be amazed how much weight is there. Uh, uh, absolutely, yeah. The other thing, we said it actually in the Coastal episode a week or two ago on the podcast about how gardening on a balcony is akin to gardening on a coastal place because it's so windy, it's so exposed. It and can it can be. be, it doesn't always have to be, but it can be a lot more grim than even somebody who's 30, 40 foot below you in the same place. So what you're saying is understand the place like any garden, understand the place that you're gardening, understand the climate, the little ecosystem. If you're down low, it might be fairly sheltered. If you're up very high, it might be windy. Um, Is your site exposed? Is it open and sunny? Is it exposed? Is it shady? There are plants for every single site and situation. A lot of people in the last year wanted to grow some fruit and veg, even in small spaces. Paul, what should people look out for and what can they grow? Fruit and veg on a balcony, it's a small space, so you need things that will... No, let's come on to... The, sorry, I've thrown you there. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit more specialised. So just in general, what should people grow? What should they look out for? with balcony gardening? Uh, Grow things that will give you value for money because it's a small space and you don't have a whole lot of room to grow every single type of plant under the sun as much as you might want to. So evergreen plants are great because they're going to give you interest year round. 
uh, things that flower continuously for the entire summer and even some plants on a balcony when it's kind of sheltered might flower for the 12 months of the year depending on what they are so plants that will repeat flower repeat flower and hopefully be evergreen because you need these plants to work hard because small space not a lot of room and you're going to be looking at them a lot so plants with fleshy succulent leaves such as semperviruses great if you don't want to water agapanthus great sedum will cope well with these type of conditions get some pollinating plants in there too yeah, yeah. Um, herbaceous perennials are fine, but they're a bit boring because they do die back in the winter. So uh, a few evergreen uh, plants are always... Evergreen flowering plants. What's an evergreen flowering plant that I can think of? Uh, skimia? Yeah, winter box. Cotoneaster? Uh, Cotoneaster can be, yeah. yeah. There's lots of things. Um, yeah, they wouldn't be stereotypical um, no. plants. For, for a shady balcony... Choose shade tolerant plants: ivy, ferns, um, buxus, ajuga, laburnums, yeah. pine. You love pines. Yeah, a pine, pine tree can mugo. be a bit big on that. Pinus mugo, though, the little dwarf pines could be yeah. brilliant. Um, I guess it all depends on your style. If you decide you want a mini cottage garden on your balcony, that's not impossible. Not what impossible, do you want? but you have to... Uh, mini cottage, uh, cottage gardens are highly productive, highly colourful, and they have a symphony, waves of colour that come from March right through to October. So you have to be careful there. Maybe you have to have multiple different types of plants per container to have that symphony. So if you've left the garden and you still want a hint of that, of what you had, that might be a way to go. A lot of people for contemporary balconies are going to want architectural style planting. So things like fatsias and astelias and formiums and cordylines. Yeah, yeah. Things that give you that evergreen structure and every day of the year that you look at them will have the same sort of appeal and not need a lot of work. Quite easy to look after. Much easier, actually. And the other thing with balconies, generally there will be a side panel or there might be the building on which you can grow plants against. So vertical gardening, whether that is, if you're a little bit old-fashioned, just putting up a hanging basket like my mum might like in her apartment, or you could plant a full vertical garden or you can grow... Well, now, when you're on the eighth floor of a balcony in Dublin, a hanging basket uh, dangling out of a bit of chain is actually a massive missile ready to <laughs> fall down <laughs> onto any unsuspecting person below. So be a bit careful with something like that. Well, I think that is the bottom line. Be a little bit careful. So be a little bit careful about the weight loading. Be a little bit careful about the choice of plants. The... Uh, type of container so choose something lightweight the material that you plant the growing medium that you plant into should also be lightweight and you can get preparations things like perlite and you can even get polystyrene that you can mix through the compost for deeper containers so instead of adding grit or stones or or pebbles which will weigh uh, put the drainage in with this you know your television or your stereo equipment might come packed with these polystyrene chips, use use that instead. Uh, don't use compost that dries out. Peat is dreadful in terms of you shouldn't use it for environmental reasons anyway, but it also, when it dries out, it's almost impossible to get wet uh, again. And the other thing you need to be careful with in terms of anything that's containerized up on a balcony, on a roof terrace or whatever, is regular maintenance, regular watering and regular feeding. You can plant things like trees, Fruit trees, um, small garden trees, oriental maples in very large containers 
on a balcony, uh, on a roof terrace, but do things like top dress them, um, which is basically feeding them, getting some sort of feed from the garden centre, usually in a pelleted form. Slow release feeds are the best for things like That's this. That's not top dressing. Top dressing is when you well, take away. Well, depends. What you Isn't it? Aren't I right? Oh, you mean that type of top dressing? No, there is only one bloody type of top dressing. No, no, no. When you work and now, in now the industry. And now you see it's just, it's just hit home and uh, that just... No, you see, when we used to top dress... Loss of assurance. In the nursery, we used to go and get a slow-release fertiliser and scatter it on the top and that was called top dressing because you were just dressing the top of it with some fertiliser and uh, Bob's your uncle and all that stuff. It was brilliant. Okay, hold on. I'm going to look at Mr. Google. Top dressing is... Are you powered by Google too? Uh, I'm, you... I'm powered by Go Loud. Nice. Um, no, uh, top dressing, it can be a few different things. And, and no, uh, so about 30, uh, 36 million results in 0.57. Top dressing means spreading a layer of rich soil mixed directly atop the ground. So the ground in this case has been the pots. You, give me that. <laughs> no, you've made it up. I haven't. You've read the top. You've modified Google to suit yourself. All the images are exactly what you've said. Hmm. <laughs> I think I win. Who's tallying this one? <laughs> well, you did embarrass me the other week. Other week. Uh, well, I didn't. Aideen embarrassed you. Well, I embarrassed didn't myself. Didn't edit it out. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> that was on the sea, Holly. Yeah. And the best thing about balcony gardening? Is what? When you move. Oh, you can take it with you. Dirt with Dermot Gavin and Paul Smith. A Go Loud original. We're back in front of Trinidad now. The sun has hit this meadow and it just looks spectacular. I can't stop taking photographs. It really has lit up and the colour and the interest and the life. What was a boring lawn is suddenly alive. It is really fantastic. Great to see. Tapestry of colour, isn't it? Thank you for listening. And remember, if you have any questions about gardening or anything else, contact us on Dirt with Dermot and Paul.